You guys can be seated. Um, I have to admit that this is way too close to the edge of the stage. I have to admit that I was sitting over there bound in fear. I was bound in fear that this microphone was on during worship and all of you would be hearing how I sang because it would have distracted everyone. Um, my name is Les Stretch, and um, our, our senior pastor, Curtis Jones, is on vacation with his wife, Amanda, and their kids in Missouri. And um, uh, formally now up for debate is his level of discernment to allow me to open the word in front of all of you today. Um, uh, Curtis and I have been friends for a long time. We actually met um, in a Sunday school class that I was teaching, and um, through a series of events, uh, I became very, very, very sick uh, and was dying in a hospital in Indiana and couldn't get home. And uh, my class was left shepherdless. And so Curtis stepped up and uh, began teaching the class. And, and for whatever reason, God saw uh, to allow me to live uh, miraculously. And uh, I learned how to walk again and came back home and sat in the class that I used to teach and realized a really important fact. He was way, way better than me at teaching that class. And so God put an anointing. Yeah, thanks for whoever's clapping for that. <laughs> clearly, clearly there were a, a couple of members that came with us to help start the church. <laughs> and so when God moved in Curtis's heart, I'll give you your 20 later. Um, when God moved in Curtis's heart to come start Bayou City Fellowship, uh, he held a dinner and there were a bunch of us that got together and it took us about 15 minutes to decide. We knew this is where God was calling us and we loved our church that we were at. And there's a healthy tension there when you leave. I think that's biblical when Paul left Ephesus or Corinth or wherever he was developing and sowing into people, there was a feeling of loss and that's what we felt. But we've been excited to see what God's done here. A uh, little background on me. I, I, uh, Tom mentioned uh, I serve as an elder for a short period of time here at Bay City. Um, um, I, I'm, I do want to make a point that I'm not on staff at this church or any other church. Uh, I wake up like most of you every day, unless you're someone who's raising children at home, which I do not do that every day, all day long. My wife does, and she has the harder job. But what I do is I wake up just like most of you and go into the marketplace and take risks and live adventures and build companies and buildings and all kinds of fun things like that. So I am you just happen to be standing on uh, stage today and try to do all of that in a God honoring way. I've been married for 15 years, almost. Uh, and I married uh, way, way, way out of my league. And uh, uh, to my sweet wife, it is her birthday today over here. Uh, excited to see that. Um, we, we proceeded, thank you uh, to her. Uh, we proceeded over the last 15 years to birth um, three children and adopt. Actually, we didn't birth three children. Emily birthed three children, and we adopted one. Um, I'm the oldest of eight kids. Les, Lauren, Lindsay, Luke, Lisa, Leah, Laylee, Logan. Uh, my parents are not Catholic. Uh, they're not Mormon. Um, they were passionate, passionate Baptists. That's a better way to describe them. Um, we started a series called Together. Why do we gather last week? 
one of our teaching pastors, Derek, was standing up here and he kicked it off. And the, the analogy that he used or the word picture that he used was the contrast between a potluck dinner and a buffet. A buffet dinner, we come and we come with the purpose of consuming. And he contrasted that with a a potluck where we at home have our very best prepared. We bring our very best. And when we bring our very best, we serve others our very best. And we also take from the others at the potluck. And then we go home, take leftovers and give them to others. Curtis preached on the same topic up in Cyprus. And he used the contrast between uh, consumer and contributor, consumer and contributor, consumer and contributor. The model for church today oftentimes is to consume that most of you, like me, I usually sit over here because that's actually someone's, you're in my seat, Matt, um, right now. But we all have a seat that we like to sit in that same area. And uh, it's real easy to consume. And if you listen back to Curtis's sermon last week, which I did, it was great. I would recommend it. He, He said, if he was going to describe the church that he feels like God's called Bayou City to be, it's a church of contributors that we look for ways to give and take. And so we're starting this four-week series on gather, and uh, these four topics over the next four weeks, I'll cover one today. One is why do we do communion? Why do we do tithe? Why do we have spiritual gifts? So all your friends who think the church are in, show indiscretion with money, bring all of them on the tithe Sunday. Um, and so... Uh, why do we have spiritual gifts? And today we'll look at why we gather and hold firm to the teachings of the Bible. Now, but first I wanna pray, if you guys will bow your heads with me. Uh, Lord, we come before you today uh, with the desire of the words of Psalms 1, 1, to be our deepest belief and deepest pursuit. Blessed is the man who flees from consistent counsel of the wicked. He doesn't pursue the pleasure of sinners. Lord, this is our cry. He doesn't sit and mock others, but his delight is in the scripture and on God's law. And he thinks on it day and night. He's like a tree deeply rooted by streams of water that yields its fruit. And in its season, its leaves don't wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Lord, like me, there's many people here um, who just don't feel this level of importance about your word just like me. And so we admit it. And because of it, we don't view it as life-giving and we're not deeply rooted in it. And when we sway with the ways of the world, we seek pleasures in places that sinners seek pleasures. And so Holy Spirit, we sit with anxious hearts, expectant hearts. Uh, We come here together with uh, little to offer, but fully ready to receive, ready to learn. We love you. We love you. We love you. Amen. So uh, we do, uh, why do we gather together to learn and hold firm to the teachings of the Bible? This is our question today. Uh, the question may roll around like that in your head or like mine. You may think, what impact can the ancient text that's been put together have in this intellectually advanced society today? What impact can this ancient text have? Uh, or you may say, I do view it as important, but frankly, I don't have a lot of time for it. We're going to look at the words of the letter writer who was the biggest contributor to the writings of the New Testament. Paul, it was inspired writing. It was the second inspired letter that he sent to Timothy. And uh, we're going to start in chapter three. So flip your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. This is also an eye test for all of you. If you can see that little font on the screen. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. 
knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is God's word. So as we look at the text today, we see the reason we gather, if you're taking notes, the reason that we gather together to study scripture and hold fast to its teachings is we gather around the scripture, we gather around the Bible, we gather around scripture because it's God-breathed and it makes us fully aware of God's truth. We gather around the scripture because it's God-breathed and it makes us fully aware of God's truth. The truth for us today is the same as the truth that Timothy had learned and believed. And Paul in 14 is saying, hey bud, know you know the truth. Jesus is the Messiah that you learned about. You studied the scriptures of old, that Messiah was coming. He is the one, you know it. Hold firm to it when thinking and society changes. And I really love this passage for a couple of reasons. Um, one, immediately after it says that in verse 14 through 17, it lists five reasons why we should hold fast to the truth. And I like that it's five reasons because one, it's much easier to preach on when it gives five reasons right in a row. And secondly, it's better because you can take very, very easy notes. There's one, two, three, four, five, and they're listed out. So if you miss the point and you're a note taker like me, just look back at the text and write down what it says. And mainly because it's as prevalent for Timothy as it is for us today, why we should hold fast to the truth that we've learned that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Let's jump in. So reason one uh, for why we should hold fast to the truth we've learned and believed is because the character of the people who taught you the truth. So look right there in verse 14b, second part. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. So this is Paul talking to Timothy, knowing from whom you learned it. One reason we believe the truth is because of the reliable sources. One of the reasons we believe the truth is because of the reliable sources from which we learned as we gathered together. For Timothy, it was probably his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice. Uh, back in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul referred to Lois and Eunice. It's two ladies. That was Timothy's grandmother, grandma, and Eunice as a source of Timothy's faith. And he said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith This is Paul talking to Timothy of a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And now I see that faith in you. This is Paul telling Timothy. And so we know the point Paul's trying to make is that there's part of Timothy's reason for standing his ground for the truth he's learned is the character traits of the people he learned it from. Verse 14, it said, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it. The point is not that, and don't make it about this, the point is that not nice mothers and grandmothers make, don't make mistakes. That's not what it's saying. The point is there's something about these two women that should make Timothy very, very slow to forsake their teaching. There's something about the way they live. There's something the way, about the way that they interacted with society. There's something about the way that they led him and responded and disciplined him and loved him, something about the way they lived that should cause him to pause and be slow to forsake what he'd been taught. And it's not an infallible test. Paul's saying part of the foundation of your confidence is that what you're taught is the kind of people who teach you. There's a a man in our church uh, 
I've been uh, dear friends with for many years. He loves the Lord. He's risen um, and been promoted through his company in the years that I've known him because of the excellence that he pursues in the marketplace, because of the way that he conducts himself. He does pursue God-honor activities. I love this man deeply. Uh, Twice a year uh, for two 10-week sessions, I host in my home, uh, nine to 10 men prayerfully considered and invite them in. And these two 10-week sessions, the first one we do usually is just learning each other's stories. In fact, sometimes people don't even bring Bibles, which is why I don't call it a Bible study. Because it's very rare for guys to get together and sit across from each other for an hour and say, I wanna know where you're coming from. And at the end of the first session of 10 weeks, what we realize is we're we're really, really messed up because we get really, really real. And then the second 10 weeks, we answer a simple question, who is God and what role will he play in your life? Every doubt that you have, let's talk about them and confront them and figure out what role God's gonna play in our life because Christianity is the worst, the worst to be halfway in because you constantly feel guilty. So either let go of it and go pursue the pleasures of the world or be anchored and rooted in it because you've made the decision, I know this is truth and this is what I pursue. Is it me or does this thing keep dropping? <laughs> or I'm getting taller. Like I am, the Lord is building me up in front of you. God is speaking it's amazing. I, I listened to Bill share his story. Uh, this man that I've known for years, I listened to him share his story. And as he talked about, as he was young, his father was on drugs and his father was absent. His father was arrested. His father was in jail. He remembered as a young boy going to see his father completely absent. And when he comes around now, you know what he comes around for? He comes around to ask for things. Hey, can you help me out? What's amazing, and all the time that I've known this person, I've never one time heard him speak in a dishonorable way about his father. Now he says, hey, this totally is terrible the way this man acts. He doesn't uh, act like Bible answer man. That guy's just, he's hard to have in the room. He's just like, the proverb says you should. And that's not effective when I'm dying over here, right? right? What I wanna know is how has the gospel impacted your life so you won't forsake the teachings, just like Timothy saw in Eunice and Lois's life, that there was something about the way that they lived that caused them to not forsake their teaching when doubt began to creep in. So as I'm around him, I'm encouraged to say, speak in an honorable way because he's living out the principle that says the first commandment with a promise Your days will be long on the earth. Children, obey, honor your father and mother in the Lord for this is right. For this is the first commandment with a promise. And it doesn't say honor your parents because they're honorable. It says speak of them with honor. Talk about them in their absence with honor. Speak speak the truth. His life is excuse diffusing. Right, because we come to the scripture and say, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but. And then we see people like my friend. And their lives are excuse diffusing. Is your life excuse diffusing for the gospel? Or are you showing the world the way the choices that I live when people know that there's a banner over my head that says I'm a believer and the way that we enter in, people say, well, he's a believer and that's what he does. So I'll do that. Or is your life excuse diffusing? I had a chance to walk through um, what could be the, one of the most uh, life-shattering events of uh, marriage with this friend and a spouse that was considering pursuing a relationship outside of their marriage. And as I 
spoke to him on the phone and he's processing all of this hurt and anger and sadness and brokenness of trust is how do I interact with my wife? And I won't forget what he said to me on the phone. He said, uh, she's my wife less and I've made a covenant before God and I'm gonna win her heart back. He took her away on a vacation two weeks and loved her and wooed her and listened to her and fought for her. And can I tell you today, these two are just, just the sappiest lovebirds you've ever, ever seen. It's gross. <laughs> Bill knows God and his life demonstrates it. And he, for me, is a Lois or a Eunice that when I think and consider forsaking what I've been taught, I look back and say, there's no way someone would choose that unless they've already experienced some level of grace. That wouldn't be a human's natural response. Wouldn't be. The quality of the witnesses increases the credibility of the testimony. Reason one, because of the character of the people who taught you the truth. Reason two, for why we should hold fast to the truth we've learned and believed is because the Bible is the only divinely inspired text, 15a, just If you guys haven't noticed, I'm literally just going to go right through the text together. Uh, Continue in what you've learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. How from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. The term sacred writings literally means holy writings. Holy means without blemish. It's perfect writings. It's sinless. Don't forsake the scriptures of youth, Timothy, because they bear the marks of God's holiness. The holiness of the writings refers to their godlike quality, this Bible. Their godlike quality. The Bible's separate and different from every other text ever. It's separate and different from every other motivational book ever. It's separate and different from any book that's ever been written. Not only do we believe things because of the character of the witnesses, but also because of the marks of truth the intrinsic marks of divine truth in this book. Just as God is holy and perfect, so the Bible shares in God's holiness. Reason three, why you should hold fast to the truth you've learned and believed is because the power of the Bible, I really like this one, the power of the Bible to save sinners, verse 15b, Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. One, knowing from whom you learned it. Continue because knowing from whom you learned it. Two, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the holy God-inspired writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Which are able to make you wise for salvation. One of the ways we come to trust a message is by the power it has to change people. So one of the ways we come to trust the message is by the power it has to change people. In this case... Paul reminds Timothy that the Bible gives a kind of wisdom that leads a person to salvation. So uh, growing up, my mom would take me to buy jeans. And when she would take me to buy jeans, I got jeans that would say size 14H or size 16H. And so I didn't understand that because I'd walk around. I think Levi's is like, I don't know what they're trying to do, but they always put 
lots of jeans. They put the size right here so everyone can see exactly what size you are. I don't like that. I didn't like that. But I knew mine was 14H and I thought I might be special because everybody else is just at 14 or 16. I had an extra letter. And so as I'm looking around, I'm not the smartest guy, but I figured that H meant something. And so I asked my mom, what does the H mean? And she said, it means handsome. So I said, fantastic. I'm handsome. This is great. I got older and smarter. There was a deep rooted fracture in my relationship trust relationship with my mom when I saw on the big Lee sign, L-E-E, I don't even know if they sell those anymore, Lee sign, it said 14 Husky. So I said, what is Husky? That's a dog. She said, no, it means you are muscly and big boned. My freshman year of high school, I was still in this state. 14 years old, I was 6'2 and 210 pounds of Squishy video game enthralled bliss. (laughs) Very nice and very smart, but but not in shape. Do you have something for me up there? That really is me. 62210 of squishy video game bliss. And I was given some literature for some friends. This, what's our point here? Uh, No, no, I want to reiterate the fact. You guys are like, why are you telling me this? Uh, there, um, one of the ways we come to trust a message is by the power it has to change people, change people. I was given some literature and some pictures of this powder substance called creatine. And I was told as I read through it, that if I take it and put it in water or juice, it would change me from this into something drastically different. So I was teachable and coachable. Katie Tigers, for any out there, hey, yeah. It was teachable and coachable. A coach was not one of the ones that get, gave me this information. It was another wise 14-year-old. <laughs> so I scooped that creatine and put it in my juice or water, and I took it for two months. And at the end of two months, I'd gained 20 pounds, but I did not look any different. In fact, I was full of water because the instructions did not say, while you're taking it, you have to work out. <laughs> I was taking it every morning and not working out. And it was making me retain water and run slower. And I was angry at the message that I was given. They lied to me. One of the ways we can trust a message is by the power. You can take that picture off the screen while I preach. People are going to get distracted. (laughs) One of the ways we come to trust a message is by the power it has to change people. And in this case, Paul reminds Timothy that the Bible gives a kind of wisdom that leads to salvation. Why we hold fast to what we've learned and believed is because of the power of the Bible to save people. The Bible is uniquely suited, divinely suited to subdue human folly and impart wisdom. The Bible is the only text that has the ability to remove, to push back, to obliterate stupidity, folly, which keeps a person from seeing the way to salvation, which is Christ, because it imparts wisdom. Wisdom is imparted. Wisdom that goes somewhere. It goes to salvation. It's not a wisdom like understanding biology and chemistry and earthly wisdom that's finite at an end. It is a wisdom that goes somewhere and it leads to salvation. It is different. It's a wisdom that's different. We were completely hopeless. The Bible says I was and you were. I was, I was Remember, this is me in my chair over there with you guys. I was and you were dead. We're following the course of this world. We are following 
the prince of the power of the air. We were dead and in need of a way. We needed a way to be made holy because only holiness, blameless, can enter the presence of God in heaven. We were without hope. We sat without hope. We had no hope. We needed a way and he made a way. In his infinite grace, he made the way through Jesus. How from childhood, Timothy, you've been equated with the holy wisdom imparting writings, which are able to make you wise for what? For salvation. So don't leave the scriptures, Timothy. There's no truth like this. Even on the back of a pamphlet for a squishy high schooler trying to get fit, there's no truth like this scripture It has the ability to offer wisdom that leads to salvation. Reason four, why you should hold fast to the truth. You've learned and believed is because the scriptures are God-breathed. I love this. Continue in what you've learned, Timothy, and have firmly believed. One, because knowing from whom you learned it, the people before you, what you've seen. Two, how from childhood you've been acquainted with the holy writings which Three, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Four, all scripture is God-breathed. It's quite possible this is one of the most important statements in the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired, we usually say, uniquely. Not like we might say a beautiful musical performance was inspired, but breathed out by God so as to make the scripture God's own words. A point to reference here. Um, the, the scripture that Paul is talking about when he's referencing to Timothy, they did not have what you have in your hands, the Bible. They didn't have that. What they had was a Bible, uh, a scripture that was the Old Testament. So we wanna speak real accurately. He can't read Revelations because it, it's not in his hand put together. That was put together later at a council about 380. That's how it was all put together in a Bible. When Paul is writing to Tiffany, what Lois and Eunice and Timothy loved and lived was what they saw in the Old Testament. Now, you say, well, then what about the New Testament? And I'd say, great. Uh, there are really good reasons for treating the New Testament as having the same God-breathed authority, uh, which I do not have time to go into today because you guys have to go to Luby's after this and you're in a hurry, your spot's saved. So I don't have time to go into it, um, but if you have concerns, I'd encourage you to reference First Corinthians 2 or John 14 or come grab me or anybody else that works here or somebody on the prayer team that you see up front, grab them and ask. Um, it's a separate sermon. So when Paul speaks in 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 of the scripture inspired, it refers by implication to the Old and New Testaments. Peter explains it this way in 2 Timothy 1, 21. This is fantastic. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what Peter emphasizes is that the writers of scripture were inspired. Literally, God carried them to speak, influence their minds so that God's word is spoken truly by the prophets. Timothy, continue in what you've learned and believed because the holy writings of your mother and grandmother taught you are the very words of God. By you city, if you've got your Bible, just hold it. If you've got your phone, just point it at your face at an angle where you can see it. You hold in your hands the very words of God translated into English. 
Have you ever been half as amazed at this as you should be? Have you ever been half as amazed as you should be? The very words of God are on paper. The creator of the universe has breathed out a book, a book. And we can read the mind of God revealed in the book. We have access to knowledge that's unshakably true and infinitely valuable. Two weeks ago, Derek preached a sermon uh, making reference that challenged the box that we put God in. He preached a a sermon about uh, God speaking through donkeys and God speaking through, he made reference to, do you believe he can speak through license plates? And do you believe he can speak through all of these different things? But let me tell you what I know God spoke through. He spoke through his word. And so as we're trying to decipher, did God speak to me through this? And did he say this through that thing? What we can always go back to and hold fast to and be anchored in is the fact that God's word is on paper. So let's start with obeying that first. Let's be rooted in that. Let the the world would say our life starts to look like a city on a hill because we respond differently when we're anchored in God's truth and God's word. But we have to know it. And what happens is we become Christians, right? Let's go through the armor of, and I'm not gonna sing again, but the armor that we put on, right? First thing we put on is the helmet of salvation. This is great, right? And what's the sword? The sword of the spirit. And what does that represent? That represents the Bible. And we've got all these, and if you're not from church, you're like, what are they talking about? And I am not putting armor on. But I, I believe we walk around right now as a bunch of Christians that we have our helmet of salvation and we are butt naked in the spiritual world. We're literally walking around. The enemy sees us as not a threat because we have a helmet of salvation. I got my fire insurance, but we're not a useful tool to advance the gospel every day wherever God has us planted because we're walking around with no weapon. We're walking around with no protection. We're walking around with a helmet on saying, I'm saved. And we literally, the enemy's like, don't have to bother with that guy. Look at him. He's naked with his hat on and he thinks he's gonna make a difference. Oh, there's another one right there. Look at that guy. Look, there's four of them talking right there. They're going. I don't want to be standing ready for battle with nothing to offer. I want to be a contributor. The consumer standing with his helmet on with nothing to offer, hoping the contributors can make a difference. And that sometimes happens in our church. And it's not just our church, it's every church. So my push is don't ask people to serve because we're asking people to serve and all they have the helmet on. Let's, let's look at our own hearts and say, how can I contribute? I only have this little thing to offer, but can I contribute? It's the most foundational reason, Timothy, why you should continue in the truth. You have learned and believed it's the truth of God-breathed scripture. Last point. Finally, the scripture is profitable, inestimably profitable. Verse 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So it says it's breathed out by God and then it tells us specifically right after what it's profitable for. I'm gonna invite you guys, uh, you know, we're just chickens in a coop in here, you know, just talking. We really are in a coop. This room's locked down pretty good. So uh, uh, my oldest daughter, I have four kids. I mentioned uh, my oldest daughter's 11. And there was this moment, if you've had a kid or thought about a kid, you've, 
You may not have experienced this moment, but you've had a kid. I, I would hope you've had this moment. But my daughter, when she was born, she had blue eyes about that big. And uh, when people would see us, they would say, your daughter's so alert. I said, no, she has big blue eyes. It's okay to say she has big eyes. And she's grown into this beautiful young woman and, and those eyes fit perfectly in her head now. And as, uh, and as I was sitting in our, in our room and it was Emily and I and we're our, our own home and my own daughter and I was in the middle of the night and it was dark and the moon's coming through. She's sitting there and she's like this. I mean, because the, the lights went on. Just, I, mean, like, I mean, just like this, right here. And I'm looking at her and I'm making some silly noise that would be pre- completely embarrassing if I did it right now. I looked at her and I felt incredibly helpless because there's nothing that I could do to make her love Jesus. I felt helpless. But the Bible said it will guide me in how to lead her to be a woman who is complete and equipped for every good work. If I would lean in, focus on aligning my heart with God's heart, he'd give me the wisdom that I didn't need to feel helpless. That was from the enemy. That's what a father looks like with a helmet and nothing else on. I don't wanna feel helpless. So that led me to a place that I wanted to know what I could teach. And so we, Emily and I, go on dates every Tuesday night with our kids. We rotate, so each kid gets a Tuesday. So they see me once every two months, because that's where our schedule's at. You guys pray for us. You may do four a week. You're a great parent. Yeah, yeah, let's compare. Uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's what we do. Tuesday, I see Mary. So a year or so ago, I'm on a date. We pull up into the driveway with Carter, and she's sitting there. She's looking out the window. She usually jumps out and runs in the house. She didn't do that this time. She said, Papa, there's a boy that I like and. Now, Papa, there's a boy I like and. She kept talking, but I stopped at and. (laughs) Papa, there's a boy I like and. And she literally continued to talk, but there was this deep heat in my chest that started to come up and this pressure building within me because I'm not saying that because I was scared. I've been waiting for that moment. I wanna know what it looks like to walk into those conversations with my daughter, but I felt the heat of the situation. I'm like, this is it. Like when you knew that event was coming, you've ever lined up for a race or lined up for something that was significant, given a presentation, walked up here to preach in front of an audience and hope you're not totally drenched in sweat. That moment, it it was right then. Papa, there's a boy, that's what she calls me. Papa, there's a boy and I, that I like and. She's still talking and telling me about this boy and he's at the workout class, the CrossFit that she goes to and she starts to cry and everything got really, really real. And I remembered Emily said, when they cry, don't say anything, just hold her hand and listen. So I, okay, hold her hand, <laughs> listen. And all of this wisdom, this earthly wisdom is coming into my head about all the things that she needs to hear right then. And I'm getting my bullet points prepared. I'm literally making the slide deck in my head. I'm ready. As soon as she stops to listen, that's all she needs to do is listen to the wisdom that I have for her. And she cries and she says, uh, this is where it all comes together. She says, there's this other girl that, that gets his attention And she's not very modest, but she's always standing in front of him, getting his attention instead of me. And what I realized were, those were adult emotions. 
that this little girl was feeling sitting next to me. These are adult emotions. Those are not little kid, daddy, I fell down and skinned my knee. This is a woman type conversation that I'm having next to her. And I felt completely inadequate again in what to do to shepherd her heart in this moment. And so I prayed in this verse, Proverbs 31, 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So we go into great conversation about what it means to be a woman and what it means to be valued and how the Lord pursued. And it wasn't a long conversation, but what was great is as we went to the word first and then wrestled around with it, and I probably did a very poor job, but what I knew is there was an anchor of truth there for her and it had the power to correct and teach and train in that moment, just like God promised, because his promises are true every single time. And she jumped over the hump. I don't know what y'all call that, but that's what we called it. Growing up, sat in my lap and she cried in my lap and I'll never forget that the rest of my life. As we sat in the driveway, she didn't need my words, she needed God's words. The Bible in that moment was useful for training in righteousness. So she'd be equipped and confident for every good work because I only have seven years left to pour into her. The Bible makes us aware of the things that are important and eternal and not the things that the world says is relevant. So Bayou City, continue on in truth. Stay in it, remain in it. And let's gather together and remember the character of the people who taught us the truth. Let's gather together around the Bible because it's the only divinely inspired text. Let's gather together with believers because of the power of the Bible to save sinners. And let's gather together because this is God's word inspired. Uh, We're gonna start a a time of prayer now. And uh, I would imagine as we walk through God's word that Uh, perhaps you're sitting there, what the enemy would wanna do, I wanna be real clear. The Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So everyone that's sitting in this room and you can hear my voice, I want you to hear something. There's therefore now no condemnation for those that are sitting in Christ Jesus. And so you're sitting in there and what the enemy, if we have to believe, is there a spiritual battle going on around us? So right now there's a battle for your hearts. There's a battle for you. Did you say, I wanna pick up a sword. I wanna be better equipped. I wanna be useful and be a contributor and the enemy would have you believe that you need to sit right where you are and you need to feel guilty for the things that you haven't done but I'm telling you now that there's freedom from whatever it is that the enemy wants to hold you in bondage from today there's complete freedom that's available today not because it's me or we do some hocus pocus prayer but the fact that the the bible imparts wisdom that leads to salvation and it doesn't stop at salvation God, for whatever reason, will accomplish his will, but he chooses to allow us to enter into it. So God doesn't need me. I don't feel pressure coming up here. He doesn't need me because his word will be advanced regardless of what I do. The question for less is, is do I want to participate? Do do I want to embrace the opportunity? The opportunity, not they're up there on stage asking for us to contribute again. Anybody else? It's, there's an opportunity that God is going to do something to change someone's life. And the question for you and me is, do we want to go watch? So it's an opportunity. It changes everything. At that point now, I say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's an opportunity. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll go. That man's life changing. I want to be a part of it. 
Where are you leading, God? Because wherever you're leading, I'm following behind. Jesus isn't the co-pilot. Jesus is the pilot, and I'm following wherever he goes. So if our prayer ministry team would come uh, down front, you guys would stand with me. Um, you're so greatly loved. I'm gonna pray over us real quick, and, uh, and then we'll lead into a time of, of prayer. Lord, we trust you with your word. We thank you for the way that it shapes us. We wanna gather together. We thank you for very clear direction. God, give us the courage to obey. Give us the courage to obey. Your word calls us to do things that don't make sense. It says the gospel is foolishness for those that don't believe. But also said that you use the foolish to confound the wise. Use me, use this fool, Father. Use this fool to confound the wise. God, as, as, as we sit in our chairs and we move into a time of prayer ministry, I pray that you would give the courage to the people that are sitting under the, the sound of my voice, that you give them the courage to say, today's a day I take my flag and I plant it in the sand and say, I don't want to just have a helmet on anymore. I want to get engaged. Give them the courage to overcome all the lies that the enemy's offering them to believe right now about who they are. Let them hear your voice as a perfect father speaking love and devoted and beloved child. I love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.